0: I knew someone who used to just use a tomato paste instead of ketchup because he was diabetic and so couldn't have sugar. So he would just have tomato paste instead. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. I tried it It No, it's not very good. It's pretty flat. Yeah, I was going (laughs) to say, that sounds like uh, hell, but fair play. Yeah, it's quite basic. There's not much in tomato puree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Tomato puree. Imagine like, oh, do you want some sauce to dip your pizza in? Yeah, just squeeze it out, tomato puree. (laughs) 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 Sorry, mate, it's all I've got in. (laughs) Okay.
2: Hello and welcome to Ghosts, the greatest podcast on earth. Or is it a podcast? Or does it just have all the factors that would make it a podcast? But maybe some people just don't think it's a podcast because it doesn't just just doesn't have the right vibe. <clears throat> I don't know. Anyway, it's a show where we de- <coughs> salty much. <laughs> it's a show where we definitively tell you the greatest, greatest of all time. Speaking of greatest of all time. It's two great friends joined by their acquaintance, Morgan and Vinnie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Thank you, acquaintance.
2: <laughs> no worries, mate. No, oh, sorry. No worries, acquaintance. Um, before we get started, <laughs> just a quick reminder to check the description of this episode for links to all our social media, our Patreon, our YouTube, where you can watch full length, fairly unedited versions of this podcast, where you might hear some rude bits, Um, you know, fucking get only on fans. it. Our OnlyFans, uh, RateMyButthole.com. dot com. Still a ten out of ten. Still a ten out of ten. Four thousand reviews as well. I should
0: probably interject. Yeah, Mork's had technical issues. Uh, oh, yeah. Mork call issues, as uh, we like to call it in the business.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would like to point out that I have not been the technical issues person for a long time.
0: Yeah, no, we true. haven't had
1: any problems for a long
0: time, to be fair. I think we went through a good saga, some some peace.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, that's ended today.
1: <laughs> peace, peace never lasts. War
0: always prevails. It's fine. Preach it. Preach it. I, th- I, think,
2: I think Vladimir Zelensky said something very similar. Um, anyway, with all that out of the way... Uh anything, Vinny, you said you had an interesting story, a legit, but is it going to be more interesting than my getting some satay chicken from the Thai shop and putting it in a rap story from last week? Because <laughs> I have to say, that was pretty fucking riveting stuff.
0: <laughs> uh, basically, over the weekend, I saw my good pal walk in the flesh yep. down here, though so you can't see him. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I went down to uh, Exeter for, for like a day. Oh no, nice. I just chill out with Mork. It was good. Nice. We we watched Sonic 2, the second Sonic movie. Yeah. Which is good fun with his uh with his son. The Sonic. And, um Yeah, and <laughs> I, I can definitely see the signs Mork, of like <laughs> the 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 tism in your yeah. son because Yeah. <laughs> he was like telling me all about his toys. He was like really like passionately telling me about all his toys uh, that he's got. And he pulled out some toys that were like ones that me and Mork as kids used to play with, like these old like Power Ranger toys. Yeah, like. they're
1: like my old toys that he's kind of got hold of. Yeah,
0: yeah. And he was like, he started telling me all about them, and I was, and then I started telling him like, oh, I've already I like, I've already played with all of these. Like me and your dad used to play with these all the time. He just like stopped, looked like up to me with these like big old eyes, and then looked back down. And then just carried on explaining all the toys that he had. <laughs> 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 Like, man, I've never really heard this all before. Yeah. I know about this shit.
1: <laughs> he's like, did you know there's a little stand that comes out? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know, because I, 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 I've I, played with that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but did you know that it has wheels? He's like, yes, I, yeah.
2: <laughs> did Amazing. Know.
1: Did you yeah. know? Yeah.
0: What, what have you been up to, boys?
1: Well, I've got something quite funny. Um, big reveal is what I've got. Um, Seb, uh, the last week you've probably been dwelling on some news.
2: Um, You are fucking kidding me. (laughs) 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 You are fucking kidding me. Are you taking a piss?
0: uh, Should we explain... Did you explain what we're talking about?
2: Well shall I yeah, explain um... that I've spent the last week telling everyone that Jen's gone blind. <laughs> 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 um
1: Yeah, well turns out, uh mate, that she's uh cute, she's fine now. She she's actually not going blind. And uh turns out she never was. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I've those, told uh, so many people.
1: Those glasses are—they're uh, blue light glasses for like wearing in the evening, for when you're watching TV. They're not—they're um, not like blind training glasses. I—I <laughs> uh, I basically sent a photo to everyone with uh, my partner. With she's got some blue light glasses, and they're orange. And um, <clears throat> big red. I sent goll- a—I sent a little goggles. video. Yeah, I sent a little video saying like, "Oi, Edgar, you never made it." Because she looks like Edgar Davids with them on. And Seb was like, Oh, what's what, what's up with those glasses? And I was like, Oh, you know, she's going blind. <laughs> and um, he took the bait off the end of my line and fully fucking reeled in. <laughs> you 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 had me convinced
0: as all well, morke, but you did whilst that was happening, you were convincing us. You messaged me saying like she's not really going blind lol. <laughs> yeah, you and I was like, okay, <laughs> don't laugh, don't contain my excitement. <laughs> you absolute fuckers. So like, the best thing was, like, when you asked me the next day, like, oh, do you reckon, do you reckon Jen's actually going blind? Because this is the sort of thing Mork would joke about. And uh, I was like, oh, shit. How do I, like, talk to her about this without being like, I know it's, <laughs> it's not true. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was like, I just, I like... I was like, oh, yeah, I could definitely believe it. And I was like, you yeah, know, and I started talking about Edgar Davids. You used to wear those type of glasses when his eyesight was going. So like, you never know. I was like, I cl- sneakily like sidestepped him to be like, yeah, of course it's true.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, sorry, Seb. You uh, fell for my trap card.
2: <laughs> you absolute fucker. But uh, you, you can rest easy now fuck.
1: knowing that she's not going to be, uh, she's not going to be getting a dog or a stick.
2: I genuinely did think, is she going to get a dog?
1: I, I was thinking of all of these hilarious things I was going to send you. Like, I was going to, like, pour some milk over the side and be like, oh, fucking blind people. Or, like, pretend like I was videoing her secretly while she, like, bumps into the door frame And be like, oh, and just, like, shake my head. But then I was like, that will give the gig up. I'll just let him stew as if I dropped some big news and don't want to talk about it. That'll be more realistic.
2: <laughs> you are an absolute <laughs> knob. You are an absolute <laughs> knob. And it's also well, a knob because you know what
1: fuck you because you pranked me with that sick thing one time. So have a taste of your own medicine, Seb.
2: That prank lasted about t- 10 minutes. Mm. 5. Mm. 7 days I've thought your girlfriend was going blind. <laughs> yeah. That's a good prank. I've been worrying me. about you. I've been worrying about how you're going to wo- how you're going <laughs> to deal with it. You got enough <laughs> when you play. I've been telling people. <laughs> I legitimately, I legitimately spoke to my therapist about it.
1: Oh no, you're gonna have to go back to all these people and be like, I was joking.
0: (laughs) Oh mate, that's so fucking good. I went to
2: my therapist. I was like, you know, I've got this mate. I, you know, he's a big part of my life, and you know, he deals. He's been dealing with a lot, and and now, on top of all of this, his girlfriend's going blind, and it's just really rattled me. And she was like, yeah, we had like a, we probably spoke about for five minutes. Well, maybe you learnt some, I don't know, life life advice, life lessons from it or something. Yeah, that you're a prick.
1: Yeah. Not <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not even sorry. The only thing in my head right now is just, ha, got him. <laughs> no, you shouldn't be sorry. That was really funny. <laughs> I can't believe you've done this. It's my New Year's resolution. If you think of something funny, you got to say it.
2: <laughs> I cannot believe you've done this. <laughs> I'm going to have to tell Luce that Jen's not going blind.
1: (laughs) All week I've been buzzing for this moment.
2: You are a ball bag.
1: Oh, well. There we go. That's my contribution to the pre-match banter, the uh, good podcast content. (laughs) Cooked up a good prank. Speaking of cooking. Speaking of cooking, Vinny.
2: Speaking of cooking. It was said by the ancient Greeks (laughs) that when Prometheus... (laughs) <laughs> what does this
0: epic fucking intro?
2: <laughs> Wait. It was said by the ancient Greeks that when Prometheus gave man fire, we no longer needed the gods. And obviously, there's been some debate about whether this is a literal or a metaphorical giving us the fire. But the idea, if it was a literal sense, would be that, you know, once the gods gave us fire, we were no longer at their whims. We could prepare food that would last longer. We could make inedible food edible. And we were our own masters.
1: Burn down the villages of our
2: enemies. Burn down the villages of our enemies. Burn down the bodies in mass graves. Um, Like Siggy's. Since we gained the power to tame fire... We mere mortals have gone from roasting a bit of, you know, cave bear to perfecting the art of cooking. The greatest in this mystic art of creation are lauded above all others. Chefs. Often seen as foul-mouthed, sweaty cocaine addicts with a short temper. (laughs) Michael and Vinnie are the perfect pair to debate the greatest chefs of all time. Who wants to go first?
1: Me. I do. The floor is yours. Chefs. What do they do? Well, they just cook shit, basically. And they cook that shit really good. And obviously, there's a lot of good cooks out there. Tons of top chefs in the world. So how do you separate the good from the goat? You have to think about what makes a goat chef. Well, for a start, they've got to cook up the best shit. That's important. They've got to have experience. They've been in the game for a while. They know the ropes. They need to be world-renowned and have made a big impact in the oversaturated market of food. You can't just be a nobody. Possible innovation into the industry and products that stand out. And that's why, for all of these reasons, that I have picked Walter White, a.k.a. Heisenberg, as the greatest chef of all time. He makes the best shit, and everyone agrees. Any questions? End of presentation. I thought that would be much funnier, but I feel like, because we've done... Because we've done... Oh, look, I'm picking Kermit the Frog. Not so many times, it probably...
2: I think the, the strategy run. is you've got to go for. You can't just go because he cooks the best shit. You've got to take a pause, look at your notes, and then go again and be like, "So Walter White, born and go for it." You can't just be like, "Yeah," you know. You got you got to sell it,
1: so, like yeah. you did
2: with your blind girlfriend.
1: Yeah, come on, Mork. You're You're better than this. <laughs> no, sit. Se- no, okay, right, fine. Seriously. I do think that a goat chef. (laughs) I heard that. What was that? What, my fart? (laughs) Yeah. Seb, you can't fart on the podcast.
2: (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) You can't fart while I'm talking either. That's so rude. (laughs) That's so rude. I didn't think the mic could pick it up. I didn't think the mic could pick it
1: up. I heard that little little doot. That stays,
2: (laughs) right? (laughs) That's the
1: goal open. Seriously, I I, I do think that a goat chef has probably got most of the attributes that I listed. But I'll I'll be honest for a minute. I don't actually know fuck all about cooking. And it doesn't interest me in the slightest. Um, But over the last few months, I've had to learn how to cook some stuff because my fiancé hasn't been able to. So now I know more than I did, but... I still basically know fuck all. Although I can make a pretty banging roast. And Seb, you can actually vouch for that. You know, you've tasted my his, roast.
2: His roast slap. I, I can't lie. They absolutely it slap.
1: Yeah. So I got one thing under my culinary belt, but for the most part, I don't, I don't really give a fuck about cooking. It's boring. Um, so for me, a goat chef has got to be someone that even I care about. You know, even I'm like, oh yeah, they're fucking sick. Because cooking to me is like, the dullest thing in the world and because chefs and particularly their new like celebrity chef status are just massive everyone has got a favorite chef and buys all the cookbooks of such and such a person whether it be nigella heston or that fucking prick jamie oliver celeb chefs are huge and modern day rock stars so a goat chef has got to be somebody who is so big on that scale that even, like, a pleb like me can be like, oh, yeah, I know that geezer, he's sick. And so that's why it honestly took me no time at all to pick Gordon fucking Ramsey as the goat chef. Now, good old Gordon was born in the great nation of Scotland! What is the Scottish national anthem? It's just bagpipes in it. Just is it like... just bagpipes? <laughs> <laughs> it's, just... <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: bagpipes.
1: It's, it's the, the American, American, American one, bagpipes. <laughs> the, anthem. Oh,
2: the yeah. bagpipes anthem. Yeah, yeah. It's oh. the American national anthem on bagpipes, and then in the background you can just hear the clattering of heroin needles, just like.
1: and <laughs> <laughs> <People eating>
0: haggis. <laughs> Or is that um, the one that goes like that's the same one. does the stars and stripes again. <laughs> oh, thank you, too. I'm not
1: to. <laughs> You can't not do the American one. <laughs> <laughs> I think
2: that is it. <laughs> <laughs> is that it?
0: Yeah, that's it. That's it. okay. Okay,
1: we got there. But anyway, anyway, he grew up in Scotland. And, Scotland? Scotland! And growing up, Scotland! He, had his, he had his eyes... <laughs> right, stop it. So, <laughs> growing up, he had his eyes set on professional football. And apparently he was, pretty, he was a pretty good football player. He was an academy player, and he was playing at the under-14 level at age only 12. Um, he's done Soccer Aid a few times, but at a young age, he had to give up the footy because of injuries
0: and yeah i i I think i think gordon ramsay is the type of guy who if he wasn't really into cooking he would be up there in like another field i think he's like fiercely competitive like and fiercely just he is yeah perfect he, he straves for strives for perfection
1: yeah when i was researching him his um his, like, whatever he's called, his, like, mentor, chefing mentor was, like, he's, like, the most competitive you know person I've ever met. Yeah, he was, like, Mark he will basically be, like, he would be amazing at anything if he wasn't a chef as well, you know. So, yeah, that's right. Um, but, like, even though his football career is, like, basically a non-existent blip in his life, like, in the grand scheme of things, he gets a bonus point for me for trying. That's a plus one in the Mork book, because fucking football, innit? Now... We can talk about how he rose to prominence in the chef scene. And we can talk about how he trained under all these great chefs and started opening up these amazing best-in-the-country ref- restaurants. Um, I'm swearing at you, but you can't even see. Our <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just um, And, like, we can talk about how he's got, like fucking a million Michelin stars and we can talk about how his flagship restaurant was voted the best restaurant in London for eight years in a row and how he trained under Marco Pierre uh, White, which is one of Britain's (laughs) best chefs ever. Uh, You know, we can talk about how he's only one of eight restaurants in the UK to currently hold three Michelin stars. He's in the Culinary Hall of Fame. He's had multiple world records, like filleting a ten-pound fish the fastest, all that shit. Like we could probably talk about his career, and do a big, huh? I
0: just, I just never, would
1: have, I never would have guessed
0: Gordon Ramsay could like do it the fastest. He was into like speed running. Yeah, biking. he's <laughs> just, got a bunch of world records. He can. So like...
1: He's got loads. Of, like, of he like he did like off. the longest, like a, the longest piece of pasta rolled, <laughs> yeah. like from it a is thing. A bit of a, it is a bit of a job. Right,
2: Three Michelin stars, Hall of Fame, one of the greatest living chefs, and also he's got the world record for filling a fish. <laughs> filling, yeah, <laughs> but just, that takes skill, man. It's like it's like being like if you said like why is Messi the greatest football player of all time? and You like talked about the Ballon d'Ors, the World Cup, the trophies, and also. So is like world record for most keepy-ups it'd be like <laughs> 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 well All I thought it was quite interesting he's done 61 round the worlds mate fuck I think know. it's interesting I think it's interesting yeah but like you, you, get, you
1: kind of get into the point actually of what I'm getting at Seb in that we can talk about all this shit for ages. Like we can talk about his career for ages and do a proper deep dive into everything that makes him a great chef and his his culinary expertise and how he grew up learning all of this stuff. That's, but yeah, that's what you're supposed to be doing now. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, Michael, you do that because that sounds really interesting. That was, that um, yeah, well that's idea. what I mean. Like we, we could do all of that, but, we, but I won't.
2: <laughs> I won't do that.
1: Oh, because right. there's 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 only one thing that we need to talk about about Gordon Ramsay. The only thing that makes him the goat, he says fuck a lot. <laughs> he shouts at people. He swears all the time. He insults everyone. And the reason we know about all this amazing stuff, because do you know if Heston Blumenthal calls people a fucking cunt in the kitchen? No, we don't know. We have no idea. But the reason we know all of this about Gordon Ramsay is because it's all televised. Ramsey has to be the biggest chef in the entertainment industry in the world.
2: Oh, he's the most—he's the most famous chef in the world. By, I can't name a person.
1: chef who's bigger in entertainment and chefing than Gordon Ramsay. He is a—he's a genuine TV superstar. I—I—I've got my pick is
0: better, but I won't say do it you, now.
2: Do you think? I don't think that because I know obviously like Kitchen Nightmares is still a thing, but. When you go back and watch the old clips, I just don't think i don't think anyone's PR team would allow them to be televised saying something like that anymore. Like, he'll just be like, you fucking cooked that ribeye steak wrong. Bring your sister over here and I'll fucking smack her in the face, you prick. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, Jesus, mate. Exactly. Like it's, it's, it's incredible. He's like, right, <laughs> I'm going to go outside and I'm going <laughs> to because you well, didn't do that well, omelette properly.
1: Hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa.
2: Yeah, whoa, Sam. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I've seen fucking better dishes than that cooked in concentration camps, you bitch. And it's like, fucking hell, mate. Chill oh, out.
0: Ramsey, bitch. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, like, he, he's a genuine TV superstar. Hell's Kitchen, the F word, Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares, like you just said, Seb, to name a few.
0: Kitchen Nightmares is so fucking entertaining, I won't lie. Yeah.
2: Like, Ramsey is a Great
1: staple.
2: Oh, go on, Seb. Have you seen the Michelin Web skit that's, like, based on Gordon Ramsay? Yeah. Where he, he like, he comes in. What's the one where he, like, saves restaurants? Is that Kitchen Nightmares? Yeah,
1: that's it? Kitchen Nightmares, yeah. Where he, goes he, like, into, comes like, in, failing restaurants, yeah.
2: And it's got, like, Michelin Web, and he's like, right, look, I'm just going to teach you how to make this really simple dish. And he's like, right, <laughs> take a bit of salmon, do this, do that, do this, do that. And he, like, hands <laughs> it to him, and he's like, if you do this, you'll save your restaurant. And he just goes i can't <laughs> why not and he's like well, i'm just not as good a chef as you i can't do all those things that you can do i'm just a bloke and he's like oh and he's like no you got it and you you got the fire in your belly and he's like no i don't i just can't cook as well as you can cook that's why my restaurant isn't as good as your restaurant it's really good it's so good
1: but like He is, yeah, he's a staple of the entertainment business. And where would we be as a society without this kind of entertainment? You know what we would be without this? We'd be an idiot sandwich. We'd be fucking raw. (laughs) Ramsey's biggest and best influence on the world is his TV goldmine of entertainment over the last 20 years. Hell's Kitchen is genuinely one of the best reality shows of all time I'm talking about the US version particularly like it's up there with Jersey Shore for me and me personally I haven't got a fucking clue what an entree is I I don't know nothing about scallops or sauteing shit but I have watched almost every single episode of Hell's Kitchen and I cannot get enough seeing Gordon actually square off with a contestant who's telling everyone to fuck off and he ain't no I ain't no bitch chef ramsey it is incredible gordon just stands there like yeah yeah it's so tough mate yeah fuck the cameras yeah you want to go let's go right now it's tv gold he is a nutcase he's screaming at people whose whose food is raw. you're cooking the duck in a burnt pan you fucking donkey I could watch Hell's (laughs) Kitchen compilations on YouTube for hours and hours and the reason it works is because Gordon Ramsay is actually a world-renowned chef in his own right he is one of the best chefs in the entire world and he commands the respect of these fucking cretins and he will help them and he will give them the advice And at the same time, he'll call them a fucking donkey. Like, they're in this place and he's putting them under immense stress and pressure, screaming at them, telling them their food's fucking raw and they're a shit cunt and they're a fat piece of shit. And they can't keep up because that's what these top, top restaurants are like. Like, when you've seen those fly-on-the-wall documentaries of these three Michelin-star restaurants, you've got all the little shit munchers, what they call sous-chefs, like chopping vegetables, and the head chef guy just goes smacks him on the back. Then he's like, "Fucking get on with it, you cunt! These carrots are fucking raw, mate. <laughs> these I carrots are too orange." <laughs> exactly, and it's just like going crazy. And everyone you speak to, they're like, "Oh, sh- chef was brutal. You know, you're doing eighteen, nineteen hour days. You don't sleep. You're, you're addicted to coke. The head chef's fucking screaming at you. Like sh- Gordon Ramsay, like puts these guys in that position for their own good." And for our entertainment. And that's (laughs) why
0: we fucking love it.
1: (laughs) For our entertainment.
2: (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, when you see those old episodes of Hell's Kitchen, you know that bit from the Watchmen where Rorschach goes like, you're in here with me. It's like that. Like he's so angry. like They're like just trapped in a room with an angry, angry man.
1: Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. What more do you want? Wow. Think about okay. it. Let's pretend that Gordon Ramsay never went on television. He was just a really good chef. One of the best in the world, right? That's a, that's a big star. That puts him in contention for goat already. But now imagine having that and having given us Hell's Kitchen. Do you know what I mean? Five stars. Yes, Seb. That's right. No, 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 no. <laughs> Where would we be without it? I think, like, and, and also, Gordon Ramsay is genuinely one of the best chefs in the world. He, this is proven by his three Michelin star restaurant, which is still going today, still open today, and it's held those stars since 2001, which is the second longest run of restaurants in the country of current holders. Uh, this, the oldest one is like 1985, it got its third Michelin star, and then... Gordon Ramsay is the second longest to have held three Michelin stars in the country. That's insane! That's ridiculous! That's pretty mad.
2: That is pretty mad.
1: So, this is what I'm trying to say. He is an incredible chef in his own right, and provided us with some of the best memes and entertainment of all time. And that's something which most celebrity chefs don't have. I'm talking about you, Jamie Oliver, you fucking twat. They're just (laughs) good cooks. Right. They're good at cooking. They don't have three Michelin style restaurants. They're not elite chefs. You can cook a, or can cook a spag bolognese on a budget. And I'm going to make a cookbook and be a billionaire. But he couldn't lace Gordon Ramsay's chef coat. You know, he couldn't wear that big white hat. All these guys are shit compared to Ramsey.
0: <laughs> couldn't wear that big white
1: hat. <laughs> I don't know about the chefs. The of a chef, the big white hat. <laughs> <laughs> that big one. But Ramsey, like I said, he he offers the best of both worlds. He is genuinely one of the best chefs in the world, one of the best restaurants in the world, but he's also a huge TV and ent- entertainment personality with so many smash hit shows. And that's a really rare skill. And the fact he's been on TV for 20 years proves how good he is at both worlds. Like you said, anything he would do, like if he wasn't a chef, he'd probably be a great football player or he'd be a great astronaut. Like he's so uber competitive <coughs> and he's so good in the TV industry as well I'm as the, the chef,
2: chef industry. <laughs> you <laughs> put the shawl on wrong, you fucking cunts. Mate! <laughs> <laughs> Like,
1: you either have one or the other. Jamie Oliver can do Saturday morning shit TV, but he couldn't hack it in a three-Michelin-style restaurant being called a cunt his whole life, could he? And Michelle Roux, like, yeah, mate, all right, you can cook up some pretty good shit in that, but could you host Hell's Kitchen? No, you couldn't. You're not fucking good enough. Gordon Ramsay can do both, and he makes people like me, who couldn't give... a, like, I couldn't give jack shit about cooking. It interests me... As much as rain interests me, it's so dull. I think but... rain's pretty cool. <laughs> Shut up, <laughs> but I can get so invested in watching these shows, which is kind of you know getting me invested in cooking as well. I'm like, oh shit, he ain't never gonna get them entrees out. Fucking blue team's already on desserts, mate. The guy on the vegetation's fucking it right up. Oh, this is insane. And I think that that is such an underrated skill and something that really makes you a go is if you can get that topic into the minds of the people who have no interest in they're not your core audience, then you're doing something that 99 percent of other people who are influential in industry can't do. So that's why, in my opinion, Gordon Ramsay He's a fucking goat chef. And if you fucking dare disagree, you fucking stupid donkey cunt, get the fuck out of the kitchen, you fucking plank. <laughs>
2: That's it. Interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting take. <laughs> Here's the thing. You fucking raw. <laughs> I do think Gordon is a very good chef. But you didn't really talk about that. It's because he transcended chefness.
1: I don't need to say he's a good chef. You know, is that something saying? Oh, Messi's good at football. Why do I need to tell you about how good he is at football? I could tell you how well, you charismatic do and brilliant he is.
2: You talk, you talk yeah. about why he's so good all the time.
0: You do bring it up in conversations that have no business having anything Messi-related, even football-related. Sometimes, <laughs> well.
1: The thing is, I don't know about cooking, but I lo- I was watching <laughs> Hell's Kitchen for an hour last night. <laughs> I was like, it's oh my oh, so god, <laughs> No, I was just watching compilation after compilation. Oh, right. <laughs> best bits, best swearing, best being thrown out of the kitchen halfway through the day. Best insults, best memes. Love
2: it. I think... It's inarguable that Gordon Ramsay is definitely, I would say, by far and away, the most famous chef in the world right now. Mm. Like, without Has a been shadow for a of a doubt. while,
0: I think. A little while. Yeah.
2: Um, I can't even think of someone close. Like, in terms of, like, internationally, like, you might say, oh, well, if you had to name a chef in the UK, some people might say, like, Jamie Oliver. But, like,
0: mm-hmm. ben
2: worldwide.
0: Ben yeah.
2: I quite like Jamie Oliver, but, you yeah.
0: Know. Didn't he ruin school dinners for everyone? That's why he hates them, right?
1: It got rid of fucking turkey twizzlers, mate.
2: I was veggie, so I didn't have them.
1: Well, pff, double bad. What about Made them the more little pink? Expensive. What about them little pink custard cakes and that? And he's just, do you know what? With Jamie Oliver, he's got a voice and a face that you just you want to punch it. <laughs> like, I just, I hear him talk, I see that face, I'm just like, oh, cretin. him. And he's not even a proper chef, is he? He's not like a top. Michelin style restaurant chef. He's like a TV cook, basically, isn't he? I mean he's still a chef.
2: <laughs> but he's not, he not in <laughs>
1: He's not an elite chef, is He's not elite. He's not
2: He's like, not elite.
1: Yeah. No. Do you know what I mean? He's not like these elite guys. But Ramsey, you think, oh, he's just a celebrity chef. He just swears at people and does Hell's Kitchen and all this. But he is he's in that elite category as well.
2: I mean, it's difficult because I, I was talking to Vinny about this last night, actually, when we were just chatting away on Discord, that when you get to a certain level of chefing, you become more of a manager than a player.
1: Mm, yeah, and like,
2: yeah. obviously, Gordon Ramsay, like, I don't know how much input he has on like, I'm sure he designs the menu at his very high-end restaurants. I'm sure he has an input on his smaller, like lower-down restaurants as well. But like, it's difficult when you're talking about like three Michelin stars, it's like, well... Are they his or are they the restaurants? They are like? his
1: because he earned those he was awarded his third Michelin star in two thousand and one and his TV career didn't take off until two thousand four. So he'd he'd basically be he'd basically become one of the best chefs in the world before he'd even started TV. That's what gave him the in into Hell's Kitchen.
0: Don't think that's what he was talking about, right?
2: <laughs> no, I mean more that like the those those Like the maintenance Michelin stars, of them. The Michelin stars go to the restaurant, not the chef which is kind of this thing that's like a bit of a weird one is like you can you could go to a restaurant that has three Michelin stars and none of the staff that were there when they earned those like that one that was from 1985 Mm. like none of the staff that were there will still be there or very few of them it's just an interesting book but I think it's inarguable that he is obviously a very very elite chef like he is a really good chef Mm. do you know what his signature dish is? uh, uh mm. i don't know spag bowl. probably things
1: that aren't raw i know he's into french cuisine donkey sandwich <laughs> <laughs> idiot sandwich do you know what it is
2: it's a beef wellington and the reason i bring that mm. up is for the middle bit oh where i have brought in my book from home signature dishes that matter which is a coffee table book me and Lou bought a long time ago because we saw it on a youtube channel and it's actually really really good um it's very snazzy those of you who are looking at the camera can see
0: is a coffee Mm -hmm. book what did you say a coffee table book is that just like the the middle class variant of like a you know a book you read on the the loo I think it yeah. well, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of. It's
2: a book that you leave out for guests to have a flick through it. It's. I On would describe loop. it more mm. as a waiting room book. You know, if you were in a like this a would be sh- a nuts great magazine. <laughs> in the waiting
1: room, <laughs> Top Gear. Never. Yeah, Yeah, Top Gear. You go to the garage. If you went to the garage back in the day, the first nuts magazines I saw was waiting in the garage while my dad was talking to the bloke having the MOT. Yeah, and they'd be nuts. That's a garage. That's a garage. though. (laughs) not like a dentist. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, you're you're in the fucking garage. There's all the geezers in there. You got nuts. You got max power. Top Gear. Anyway, I mean.
2: Look, <laughs> it's a middle a class version place. of that, isn't it? <laughs> mm, kind of. It's the sort of book you'd find in like a nice hotel foyer or something right. like that. But it is a very good book. It's very interesting. that's not the book. What the it is, like is it read. is, I think, I don't quite know exactly how many it is. I don't think they talk, I don't think the number is particularly specific. But it's every influential dish or signature dish that matters over the last 300 years. Now, I was going to just, like... Obviously, some of them, like, if I just open a random page, it'll be something that you've never fucking heard of. Um, Yeah. Like, well, that was a bad example, because I opened it on a Baked Alaska, which I have heard of. Anyway, but rather than just pick out some random things, like, be like, oh, how long do you think souffle potatoes have been around? I don't (laughs) fucking know. And also, it's a bit difficult, because, like, they give they credit it in this book to the um the establishment or the chef that made it popular but obviously like sou, sou, souffle potatoes have been around for like hundreds of years yeah so what i thought i would do is rather than do that i flick through and what they have got in here is some more sort of down-to-earth normal food that you might Lasagna. have heard of and foods that are... Well, lasagna... The trouble is, again, lasagna has that thing where it's been around for too long. Whereas these are ones that were invented within the last hundred years. Chica so masala. So what going to do... Okay, we'll get there in a minute, more. Um, <laughs> what so what we're going to do <laughs> we're going to go from person to person i'm going to i'm going to name a thing i'm going to go to the page in the book i'm going to read the first sort of paragraph on what it says about it just cuz it's nice um and i spent quite a lot of money on this book so i want to get my most out of it and hmm. then you all you have to decide is in what year it was it was created closest wins right. closest wins okay so i'm going to go find the first one which is Your first signature dish that matters is avocado on toast. Oh, fuck. (laughs) What what, what broke the millennials' uh, pockets? (laughs) Exactly. Bill Granger made this dish a global phenomenon when when the 21-year-old cook with no formal restaurant experience put it on the menu in his tiny cafe in what year?
1: Of course he did not have proper restaurant experience and he put it on his fucking in his vegan cafe. Nineteen eighty-five.
2: You're going eighty-five? More I'm gonna go, going?
1: I'm gonna go 95. I don't think vegans were invented in eighty-five. <laughs> I think they're newer than that.
2: That is utterly wrong. However, it was in nineteen ninety-three. So yes, Walk, you get the point. Yes, um, my logic was close. <laughs> close, nice. Yeah. It was right in those. Australia. Oh, right. Was it? Yeah, who knew? Oh man, I've been to
1: London, California.
2: Really? really? Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Dish 2 of signature dishes that matter. Buffalo wings.
1: Ooh. Ooh, this like
2: spontaneously like devised bar snack, assembled from odds and ends available at hand late one night at a bar in Buffalo in northwestern New York State, is more than just an iconic American dish. But when was it invented? I'm going to say 1962. Because I think um, it probably
1: took off when, like, McDonald's and all that kind of, like, fast food like that really was big in America in, like, the 50s. So I'm going to say a little bit later than that in 62.
0: Uh, I'm going to say 1970.
2: Mork takes the point again. It was invented in Anchor Bar in 1964, Ooh. which is, I think is pretty bloody impressive.
0: Right. Mork, you know your food's... You're Mate, I know it. I know, I know
1: about beef bourguignon. I know about fucking boillon. chips and Come that. And fucking pizza and curry fucking and that kebab. <laughs> fucking chicken <laughs> masala. Yeah, is the doner kebab in there? It fucking better be. That is a dish that. <laughs> lamb doner, lamb doner with chips and mayo. That better be in yeah. that book. Or <laughs> what garlic mayo? Or what? Fuck barbecue sauce boss, man. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> God help the British diet. <laughs> God fucking help it.
2: <laughs> it's awful. Um, right. This is one that we all know of. The Big Mac.
0: Ooh.
2: In searching for a burger that would boost profits and draw in new customers... After McDonald's repeatedly turned down his request for a double burger patty, Jim Degliatti sandwiched two beef patties between not two but three sesame seed buns, adding cheese, lettuce, pickles, onions and a special sauce. But when was the Big Mac invented?
1: 1975.
2: Vinny's going 19- 75.
1: 1952.
2: It was Vinny, you get the point, nineteen sixty seven. Oh nice. Very close, but Vinny does get the points of my maths Nice one, Vinny. Are correct.
0: Yeah, I don't I I don't know how we're even getting kind of close. I don't I <laughs> it does I don't this doesn't feel like I I know any of this stuff.
2: Well, I think it's kind of in the back of your mind. It's rational it? like deduction. Yeah. Though, it's rational yeah, you deduction. Kind of you think, out. I've heard of
1: that. How old do I reckon it is? Yeah, you I know? don't know why. Yeah, Like avocado know. on toast wasn't going to be invented in like 1912, was it? Like during like, World War One yeah. in the rationing days. It was going to be fairly recent. Yeah, that sounds right.
2: So next, yeah. we have the Caesar salad. Ooh. Necessity is the mother of invention, or so the story goes. This simple yet alchemical salad was allegedly thrown together when Tijuana, at- when the Tijuana outpost of Italian-born chef Cesar Cardini's San Diego restaurant was overrun with holidaying Americans in search of booze during Prohibition. Bit of a hint there.
1: Yeah, that's a massive hint. Prohibition <laughs> was in the thirties, right? So I'm going to go middle of the park. Nineteen
2: thirty-five. Right, Vinny. When you saying?
0: it was the twenties. So I'm going to go middle what? of the park, 1925.
2: <laughs> Vinny gets the point. Yeah. <laughs> it was 1924. It was, the it was oh,
1: 1924.
0: I always thought Prohibition was in the 30s. Yeah. No, it was Prohibition in the 20s when America was doing great. I did mm. this in history, so I remember this. And then 29 happened, the Great Depression. Everyone got super oh. depressed, You know, lost all their jobs. And then they brought back booze to make people feel better
1: people about happy. Ha- the oh, financial crash. Okay. So I'm probably off, off on there, yeah. Nice one. Well done, Vinny.
2: Nice one, V. Yes. Right. Yes. Your fifth signature dish that matters, all even Stevens in the park. The Hawaiian pizza, Ooh, an original worst pizza, by the way. I love Hawaiian pizza. No, an like original doesn't
1: belong on pizza. Oh, I oh, love it. Can we, it's can just we not have sweet this debate? and salty and no, no, no.
2: <laughs> an original and divisive flavor combination that came from pure experimentation. The Hawaiian pizza was invented almost four hundred almost four thousand five hundred miles an hour. Almost 400... Oh, for fuck's sake, I'm sorry again. (laughs) (laughs) An original and divisive flavour combination that came from pure experimentation, the Hawaiian pizza was invented almost 4,500 miles from the Polynesian source of its name. The name hailed from the brand of canned fruit that Catham Ontario restaurant owner, Sam Populomonobolos, placed on a standard tomato and cheese pie, quote, just for fun. Alongside bits of ham. I should pronounce his name properly. It's Panopoulos. Panopoulos. He's Greek. Yeah, when sounds when did he do it? <laughs> when did Ange Postacoglu invent the uh, Hawaiian pizza? Hawaiian
1: pizza. Go on, needs need to go first, mate. I'm
0: going to go 2000. 2000? 2000. 2000.
2: Okay, I feel I'm like I'm go... very off then. <laughs> I'm going to go <laughs> 70... <Why not? laughs> 79. Do you know what, Mork? You're still not that close, but you are closer. It was 1962. Oh. God. <laughs> that wow. That is re- that's ages ago, man. I know, but that's what I find really... My most interesting ones in this book are not the ones where it's like some fucking ancient thing where they're like, people have been making this for... It's when it's like, when did the first guy make a Hawaiian pizza? Because that's fucking mm. mad. Like, it's yeah, so ubiquitous yeah. now, but it's like... It when was, was the a first stuffed
1: crust? You know.
2: Exactly. That, that is interesting. Right. Next one is, I'm trying not to go too American. I've got a load written down and I'm trying to sort of judge based on, do you know what? I'll do one that you guys will definitely know.
0: Donna with chips. Donna with <laughs> chips.
2: <laughs> Donna with <laughs> chips.
1: <laughs> Donna with chips. It's got to be the fucking 90s, mate. The <laughs> golden age
2: of Britain.
1: So horny oasis and that lasagna sandwich (laughs) let's fucking go (laughs)
2: it's
1: so fucked
2: this (laughs) is an iconic dish that you will all have heard of
1: cheese on toast beans on toast
2: snail porridge Mm -hmm. by heston blumenthal it says, before Heston Blumenthal launched himself into the molecular gastronomy stratosphere, he created a dish that used only the diner's mind to play tricks on them. In this case, he brought together two things that evoked images of grey and gloopy depressing foods, breakfast porridge and snails. But this rich, surprisingly savoury oat and barley porridge wasn't for breakfast. But when was it made? 2000. Mork, uh, Vinnie with 2000. Mork, what are you saying? 2001. <laughs> 10. <laughs> 2010? Oh, he's biffed it. Was it like 80s what or something? It? <laughs> Two... No, it's 2003. Oh. oh. Okay, nice. I was going to say 2005 as well. Does that make it... That makes it all level, doesn't it? Again, we're back to even Stevens, which means we're yeah. deciding rounds. yeah. Three all. Okay, so... Okay, okie-dokie, okie-dokie. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. There was one I was going to do, which was the potato puree, Vinny, that you mentioned yesterday, but I think that's a bit unfair because you already (laughs) mentioned it. So I'm going to go for something. It is a bit American, but I feel like we've all heard of it. Mm. It's an iconic dish from a very, very specific city. Mm. Do you know what I'm about to say? Philly cheesesteak the Philly cheese steak nice so okay. this street cart sandwich that came to represent a city the philadelphia cheesesteak, was born when an italian immigrant's young son who was selling hot dogs and fish cakes on a corner in south philly tired of his offerings one day asked his brother harry to run to the butcher's shop for some scraps of meat harry came back with thinly sliced beef which pat crisped up on the on, which pat crisped up on his which Pat crisped up on his griddle with some onions and served all in a hot dog bun. As legend would have it, a cab driver who frequented their cart liked what he smelled and asked Oliveri to make him one of his off menu sandwiches. Word spread, and it came to represent the city. But when was the Philly cheese steak invented? Nineteen eighty
1: two. Nineteen eighty two
0: see i remember watching man versus food as a kid and mm. I, one of the episodes i i weirdly remember a lot is the philly cheesesteak episodes where he goes yeah. around and has all the philly cheesesteaks i remember him saying when it was first invented i think he went to the maybe the first the place where place. it was first invented yeah. as well
2: pat's kings pat's king of steaks where it was invented
0: so I have, I've, I've seen, I've seen, I've heard this number. You've this got this year knowledge somewhere when I was like eleven, and I, <laughs> I man, just,
2: man versus food was
1: so fucking good, wasn't it? Oh, what a, Did, a shot! Didn't he, didn't he have to stop doing it because
0: he was just like his heart was mm. going to explode or yeah. something? The f- if you watch the <laughs> first like season, now. he's like
1: a regular bloke, and that's why it's kind of funny. Cause it's like, oh, a regular blokes eating all this stuff, and like by like season ten, he's like five hundred pounds. It's like oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, got the whole thing is that he's not.
2: He's not a competitive eater. That's the whole no, exactly. thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, right. He yeah. just loves a fucking big meal. <laughs> I'm going to go with
0: 1990.
2: Right. That means that the winner of our signature signature dishes that matter round is none other than Mork. Oh,
1: yes. The Philly cheesesteak
2: was invented in 1933. So we're coming up. It was Whoa. 90 years old. I know, Jesus, that is kind of wild, isn't it? Jesus,
1: I obviously, you know, I accept this award as the greatest of food of all time. Um, you know, it's been a long road to get it, to understand about all these dishes and shit and all that kind of stuff and that. So yeah, I'm glad to be crowned on this podcast as the most knowledgeable about food and that.
2: Nice, very nice. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that round please go and read Signature Dishes That Matter. Not a sponsor, it's just a really fun book. Or, if you know me personally, just ask to borrow it, because it's quite fun. Um, £2 rent fee. £2 rental (laughs) fee, mate. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Whenever you like, Vinny, please tell me who you think is the greatest chef of all time.
0: So, Mork, it's interesting what you said earlier when you were talking about how Gordon Ramsay... Is the biggest, like, you think he's just the, the most entertaining cook of all time and the most, like, the biggest meme. Biggest in got, the entertainment industry. But I'm I've got, yeah. biggest in the entertainment industry, I've got someone who's even bigger. Someone who right. is a fucking living meme. So, Guy Ramsey Fieri, or Guy Fieri, is an American restaurateur, author, and an Emmy Award winning television presenter. Who? You don't know Guy Fieri? The guy, the guy with, like, Googling the spiked-up frosted spiked
1: up oh, tips and then I the flame shirt. Oh, I thought he was shirt. the lead singer of Limp Bizkit. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Shots fired,
0: Limp Bizkit. Fuck you. <laughs> guy Fieri. Well, that's who Eminem was dissing in girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> fucking Guy Fieri. Yeah, fuck you, you fucking meal yeah, shit. Yeah, I've seen
1: this guy wearing his fucking flame shirt. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. the yeah.
2: flame shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't he like a proper... He's actually quite a proper chef, though, isn't
0: he? Yeah, he's got loads of restaurants. Uh, well, he's now... He co-owned three now-defunct restaurants in California. <laughs> 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 I haven't actually picked Guy Fieri, by the way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank God for that. <laughs> See, that's how, you, that's, <laughs> that's how you do a
2: good bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you do it.
0: That's you how you it, do you it. You make it believable. Hmm. Although I also... i I wanted to pick Walter White for goat chef as well i found this <laughs> yeah. dude who's like a real life walter white and his actual name was walter white and he was like the the best meth cook in alabama for 10 years and i was actually quite tempted to do him <laughs> but i picked a real answer so then you do case cooking i was also kind of tempted to do K's cooking <laughs> yeah i <laughs> went <laughs> i went for, I went for a, a boring real answer so <clears throat> What is the most important quality in a great chef? Well, if you ask many of the top chefs, they probably have some variance in their answers. Someone like Marco Pierre White or you know, Gordon Ramsay might say that the head chef's main purpose in the kitchen is to just shout and invigorate and, and <laughs> offload all your passion onto your, uh, the other cooks so they can just make the best, you know, get the best out of them. Whereas someone else might say that the whole restaurant experience, being as close to perfect as possible, that should take priority. And then obviously there's the obvious answer, someone who makes really fucking good food.
1: Mm.
0: Well, the guy I have picked today doesn't really have any of these qualities. <laughs> By his own volition, he's a pretty mediocre cook. He never once earned a single Michelin star, and the restaurant he was most known for running down, running closed down in 2017. However, I would argue that the other achievements that had earned that he had earned in his lifetime are what truly set him ap- apart from everyone else within the gastro- gastronomic sphere. That's a new word that I learned. That meant means like the world of like restaurants and chefs and
1: cooks. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, gastronomic sphere. Right? Astro. Oh, so, I know who
2: you've picked. I know who you picked too, I think. Yeah,
1: it's that rat in the hat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's Ratatouille. <laughs> I picked Ratatouille. fuck's rat. pick sake, I should have picked Ratatouille. His name's not Ratatouille, was sick. Remy.
0: No, it's Ratatouille. Here comes Ratatouille. Ratatouille the mouse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the rat. <laughs> Ratatouille,
2: Ratatouille, that famous film about a mouse called Ratatouille. (laughs) (laughs) I thought
0: he was a gerbil. (laughs) Oh, mate, don't talk about (laughs) G-force. They're guinea pigs,
2: (laughs) and you'd know.
0: I wouldn't. So, the man I'm picking today is the one and only greatest chef of all time, Anthony Bourdain.
1: Anthony Bourdain.
0: Born in Manhattan in the 1950s to French and Jewish parents, Bourdain's lifelong obsession for food started when he tried his first ever oyster on holiday in France. (laughs) Years later, whilst attending... Oyster,
2: you never made it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) What? (laughs) That doesn't rhyme. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> years later whilst attending college he would work in seafood restaurants which would then inspire his decision to pursue cooking as a career so anthony bourdain would bounce between working different types of restaurants within the new york area during the 1970s and 80s but he found his home in the manhattan french-based restaurant of Leol. i think i got that right where he became head chef in 1998. Bourdain's culinary prowess was not confined to the traditional domains of haute cuisine, which uh, I learned another, that's a new word, it's uh, high cuisine in French, so it's kind of like high-end fancy shit that michelin star restaurants cook. Right, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Rather, it manifested in his appreciation for the unpretentious and the diverse. His palate embraced street food as enthusiastically as it did Michelin-starred dishes, reflecting a genuine love for the essence of each culinary creation. Bourdain's skillful use of simple ingredients and emphasis on authenticity are what set him apart, making his culinary creations accessible and relatable to the wider audience. So that's the boring bits about food that I've never eaten before. Uh, I wrote that about food that I've not eaten. Let's just sure. move on with our lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you ever eaten like like Gordon Brown's? Not Gordon Brown. <laughs> Gordon,
1: Gordon Brown. brown. <laughs> Gordon, Gordon Brown has a brown sauce bacon bath every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, have you guys ever eaten
0: at like a Michelin star restaurant? Have you ever eaten like high cuisine?
1: Um, f- reasonably high cuisine. I've eaten, like, I, when me and Jen got together, f- I took her to this place and it was like, I ordered, I was like, oh, I'll have the f- the f- the fish rather than, like, fucking whatever it was. It was just called, like, the fish, or, you know. And it was, like, f- 30 quid or something for the one thing plus, like, 15 pounds for a glass of wine. It was, like, 100 quid. We only ate, like, two things. And, oh, like, was- it was just, like, a bowl with, like, a s- little square of fish and a little leaf on the top and some drizzle around the side. It was it was okay, but, I mean, it was fucking tiny. I think we went to, like, Macca's afterwards. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. Like, it didn't blow my mind. It's probably not that fancy, but, yeah, that's, like, my kind of experience with that kind of food. To be fair, you've,
0: you've unlocked a memory from, like, a month ago when I was in uh, Budapest with a couple mates. We went to this we didn't know how fancy it was until we were like seated. And then we realized, you know, we were literally seated and like, it just looked super fancy. And like, Mm. there was like the extravagant wine menu and all this stuff. And there wasn't like a lot on the menu. And so we had, I think pretty much, it probably was like high cuisine or at least something that's close to high cuisine. And it was fucking incredible. But the most incredible thing is, and it was like, we had like a full course, three course meal. It was like, 25 quid <laughs> and it was yeah, like the best horrible. meal i've ever had in a restaurant yeah ever yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> i remember insane. like very similar thing when i went to vietnam i was like hanging out with these australian guys and we're in this place called was it hoi an it's like a little sort of quite touristy village where they like keep things like looking all old-fashioned and we just got into this habit for like we were there for like four days of just going and like eating like sort of rich aristocrats from the 1920s where we'd like go and eat at this just outrageously posh restaurant where like yeah like and you just like looked over this lake and we were like wearing posh sunglasses well fake posh sunglasses and yeah i was gonna say yeah like they like we've been to like the tailors where they like make you a suit for like a fucking quid it's like (laughs) it's like incredible and i and like yeah like you'd spend like half a billion dong or something on lunch and it would like it would just ridiculous but it came to like less than a tenner and it was just yeah. insane it was absolutely insane
1: well so the answer i think is not really the answer is not really yeah
0: okay so i'm not gonna lie i've never read a single anthony bourdain book i've never had any of his food but the reason that i'm picking him today is because i quite like his tv series that's right, it's a passionate yeah. answer. Parts Unknown. That's the thing, That's the same, it's the
1: same reason as me. Like, yeah, you've done
0: all that cooking shit, but like... It is, the but The TV I'll, show is wicked. I'll get into it, I'll get into it. Okay. If you don't know about Parts Unknown, it's basically just this TV show where Anthony Bourdain would travel to just places all around the world, often pretty exotic, but sometimes it'd just be like Alabama... And they'd just, like, try their local cuisines, make some of their dishes, and just talk about the, you know, interesting, fascinating tidbits of all of their cultures. Now, obviously, there are thousands of shows that are exactly the same as that. So why is Parts Unknown probably the only cooking show, definitely only cooking and travelling show, I'd watch by myself? Well, I guess it's the fact that... In Parts Unknown, he just completely immerses himself in the culture that he's in. He really does just meet with local people, have, you know, conversations about their, like, what's it like to be a local person? What's your culture like? What's going on in your country? All of this stuff. And just have, like, very regular food that they would have in that country. Like, he would go to a really poor country and just have their, like, you know, quote-unquote, peasant food. hmm And that's like another thing he was like a really big advocate for is like him calling out that a lot of these fine dining restaurant people, these like high-end chefs, all the Michelin stars, kind of look down on this sort of peasant food because it was like made with some animal that like is like considered a bit taboo to eat Mm. in like Europe, like eating like hamster or something, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And he, like, calls that out and he says, like, you know, he would say that that's just, that's just, you know, racism. Plain or simple. Pretentious
1: and racist, yeah.
0: Pretentious and just, just straight up racist. There's, like the, like, the idea that, like, only European cuisines, only, like, European delicacies are allowed. Anything else that's, like, not, like, really allowed in our, like, culture, that's just, you know, you're backwards for this sort of thing. And he called that so shit Scorpions out, like, on a stick. Yeah, <laughs> like scorpions on a stick or scorpions in a That's lollipop. That's what I think
1: of when I think of exotic. I think of those, like, stands in, like, East, Southeast Asia with, like, scorpions on a stick and that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, like, they look tasty. Like fried tarantula. I've seen that before. Yeah, I'm like, it looks tasty, but it is a scorpion on a stick.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: I don't know. I'd,
0: <laughs> I'd, I'd like to maybe try it, but it's a bit scary. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he would go to these places and just like try the cuisine, really immerse himself. But that, not only that, like his ability to write like a a good story and to like have these really introspective and like interesting observations on like the world around him. Like that's really what makes Parts Unknown, like that extra bit so good. Like he was given like pure creative control over that series And you can tell Mm. because some episodes are a little bit, like, weird. I remember watching one episode, uh, I think it was the second one he went to, like, Korea. Second time he went to Korea, he, like, the whole episode's told in this kind of backwards way where, like, he's kind of recounting what happened the night previous when he got, like, really, really drunk. Like, the whole evening, like, he just got absolutely blasted and just, like, partied with all these, like, local Korean dudes, basically. (laughs) He would, like, just go to, like, local Korean people and just, like people who just got out of work, like, businessmen, and just, like, drink with them and chat about, like, what's it like to be, like, Korean, what's going on in Korea, what are you guys up to, what do you guys do? And What's your
2: career path?
0: What's your career path? Yeah, it's... <laughs> I mean, he would have
2: these, like...
0: Bad. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible! <laughs> he would have these just, like, really interesting things to, like, say about, like, the world around him, and he was, like, you know, he was... He was like definitely like a kind guy like he wasn't this super mm. over the top aggressive type of cook and it's gone a bit rambly because i basically just completely gone off my notes but i guess i'm just trying to showcase that like his sort of his sort of philosophy on food and what is really important about food it's not like the restaurant experience it's not how incredible the food looks or smells or just, you know tastes obviously It's about the people you share your food with. It's about the conversations you have over the dinner table, the connections you make over something that either you both made or just one of you made or you paid someone to make.
1: And
2: that really is... no
1: judgment, I feel like, not being like looking down on people because like, oh, you don't dine at fancy restaurants. You don't know jack shit about food. It's like, nah, it's more real, more personal than that is what I'm getting. Yeah yeah exactly like
0: food is like in our society food is like a time to be like to check in with each other like over the dinner table mm. to communicate on your and, lunch break yeah yeah it's it's the time for like reflection as well it's the time for introspection and um shit where was i going with that <laughs> that that, that's like he he sort of that was his whole philosophy on food what makes food so good like it's not just the food it's the the things around the food and you know i like i love making dinner for other people i i just making a making a dish for other people and it also turning out good as well like that's just the cherry on top it's shit that i feel like shit um (laughs) yeah um and it's just like and they enjoy it and i'm enjoying it and i don't know it's just like it's special it's like i've made this and people have enjoyed this and like we're enjoying it together like it's
1: yeah i can vouch for that like 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 you you've cooked me you've cooked me stuff you know and it might be really basic it might be like a little cheeky spag ball or something and like i'll see you like looking at me as i'm like munching it, i'm like i oh, think this is fucking this is good mate And I just see that little twinkling eye. We're like, yes, because you're like, you've done a nice thing for somebody, isn't it? It's like you're doing a nice,
0: yeah. And we're sharing this experience
1: as well. Like exactly, and it's like every, like I was saying, everybody likes food. Like you know, don't say you like food. Everybody likes food. So like, when you make something for somebody else and they eat it and they're like happy, you know what that feeling is, and you get pleasure out of giving somebody. That feeling of like, oh yeah, that's nice. They're enjoying that and we're enjoying it together and I made that for them. So I am yeah, I'm happy. I totally understand what you're saying, yeah. I mean obviously I can't cook good shit, so it doesn't mean <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> the only, the only feeling more the only feeling more pleasurable that is when you've like slaved away for hours and hours and hours and you made this really delicious thing and then you see someone eating it and they're like, Oh, that was the best thing ever. And then you just know deep down in your heart that you snuck a pube in it and they <laughs> didn't realize.
1: You spat in it. <laughs> fuck sakes <laughs> jizzed in the mayo
2: and no one we're complained
0: a, we're having a hashtag yes. wholesome moment here and you bring pubes <laughs> <laughs> bonding with our brothers I stuck a in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. and the other thing I wanted to talk about yeah it's very rambly I, I sort of wrote this script like 20 minutes ago I think while smoke was doing this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um but the other thing I want to talk about is just like it's like that thing I said earlier. It's like I very, I mean, I guess I have, I guess maybe had one f- fine, like high dining cuisine in my lifetime, but like that's it. Like most of the meals I eat are just like meals I make or just meals like like go to a restaurant and have, and it's like fairly regular sort of meals. And so when I watch shows like MasterChef with my dad, he he loves MasterChef, and so I'll watch it with him and I enjoy it. But like, I'll see the foods they're making and it's just so like over-the-top, ridiculous, like it must it, I'm sure it tastes incredible, I'm sure. But just looking at mm. it, I have no idea what the fuck it tastes like. They'll just say a bunch of words I've never heard of in my life. Like I'm not I'm not I don't really understand the super super high dining stuff. Like I don't eat that stuff, so I can't relate when they're like, oh yeah, yeah. It's got that like nice sharpness. I'm like, does it (laughs) fucking, I don't know. Yeah. 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 And so when I watch those shows, it doesn't inspire me whatsoever to cook, but the things that do inspire me. And like, I do mean this like parts unknown. The fact that he, he does immerse himself in the cultures and he has a lot of this peasant food. He makes this food, like this food that the regular people of that, you know country would eat and like shares it with them and watching that and it being like some like fish and potatoes as like the as like the ingredients it's like i can make that i can make that at home and like he made it so good it looks so fucking good and it's simple it's easy it's like lots of yeah lots of simple ingredients but just like how you do it is like really you know and that's that's inspiring that makes me want to actually try new things and, and develop my, my, my repertoire as like a, as a cook. So I think he at least inspires me to be a better chef. I don't know if it makes me a better, you know, cook, but uh, there we go. So yeah, I, I, I I feel like I said everything that I wanted to say. Uh, great writer, great person, just had lots of great ideas and inspiring in the way he cooks and the way he thinks about food
2: Nice. yeah i
1: like that i feel inspired by that because i feel like you like you said you've had one you don't you don't resonate or connect to that high dining experience you've had one in your life yeah it was really good
0: like it was really really tasty but it's like that's you know i can't be doing that every weekend
1: that's what i mean as well like is that the best meal you've ever had And for what reasons? Probably not. Like, the best meals that we have are, like, the ones, like, with your mates or at this particular time, or it's all the other stuff around it, sharing it with those people. You know, the best meal you've ever had might be, like, something really shit, food-wise, but it was great because, like, it was in a special place or at a special time or with a special person. And they're the ones that, like, you're going to remember. Like, I think the gist of that argument is, like, yeah, high dining's great and stuff, but those kebabs... And I mean this seriously. In the back of a taxi after a sick night out, when you're like reminiscing with your mate, can be just as special because of where you are when you're eating them, who you're eating them with, and all, all of the rest of it. Do you know what I mean?
2: Definitely. And also, I, like, like I think, I think it kind of like it's very opposite to the Gordon Ramsay thing as well. Like, I don't think you could pick someone more opposite, and yet still. Within the same field as Gordon Mm. Ramsay, as Anthony Bourdain, like they are like chalk and cheese. Yeah, he's a lot. He's a very calm guy, isn't he? Yeah. Well, sadly, no longer with us. But um...
0: yeah. So I found out. I didn't realise this because I know he killed himself. He had like loads of mental health problems and stuff. Like he was a Mm. massive wreckhead. He loved drugs and loved seshing. Um, Probably because he was massively (laughs) depressed. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And he, whilst filming, whilst filming parts unknown on location in, in somewhere in France, I think that's when he hanged himself, which is pretty fucking brutal. Like during Damn. filming, like the show that like inspires so many people.
2: Yeah, it's pretty pretty that sad, really.
0: Sad. Yeah,
2: but I it's a really difficult choice actually because like I um, respect both ends of that culinary spectrum, and I. I think like there is something to be said about like like you said more, like the food that you share with your friends and those like simple foods are the ones that like you remember. And also I think they're the ones that like inspire you. Like I very rarely watch Master Chef and think oh, I want to go cook something. Yeah. But like I could watch like Anthony Bourdain eat like a pea and ham soup in the Peruvian mountains and I'm like, Yeah, I might do that. Like, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And I kinda I- I have the like, same thing with man versus food. Yeah. Like I never look at like scallops when they're being. I'm like, oh, I love a like oyster boy on um, fucking this friendship. But I see him eating like a fat, like yeah, burger or like some crazy wings and all this crazy shit. I'm like, oh, fucking hell, I'm hungry. <laughs> you know, it looks yeah. like such good fun.
2: I guess that's what it comes down to. It's interesting, isn't it like that stuff. Those kind of shows make you hungry. But then obviously, what Gordon Ramsay's achieved. He is obviously the most famous chef in the world. He for just, good reason. By, an absolute country mile. He's very well established. He's very technically good at chefing.
1: And he calls people fucking donkeys for a living. He's very
2: entertaining. <laughs> and he calls people fucking donkeys for a living.
1: And he's and he's probably good at good in the fiver side. And he's probably great in a fiver side. He's boat. actually probably not. He's so injury prone. He's more injury prone than Jack Wilshire.
0: I'd say I'd say a show like Kitchen Nightmares is great, but it's 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 kind of trash TV because it's just like a lot of just yelling some some really good cook yelling <laughs> at some cooks who aren't very good but they're also yeah. kind of arseholes about it.
1: Yeah, I mean you know I love trash TV, especially reality trash TV. It's the only reality TV I like. And like Hell's Kitchen particularly is my favourite one. It is definitely trash TV. You're not you're not tuning into that to learn about culinary gastronomity or whatever you said, Vinny. You're you're watching that to see some fat guy sweat while he's trying to flip scallops while some woman's also screaming at him and Gordon Ramsay's fucking throwing shit at him. (laughs) I literally saw him throw a spoon across the room at somebody on one of the compilations last night while calling him like a fucking pig. And that's why you watch (laughs) Hell's Kitchen.
0: (laughs) But on the other end, I was going to say... Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown is, I feel like, the complete opposite. I think it's a yeah. lot more like introspective and interesting. Makes you think. Makes you marvel. I think it's just mm. it's a different. It's a completely different vibe.
1: It's a complete <laughs> opposite vibe. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think everything on paper. I feel like I should go for Gordon Ramsay. But I just don't want to. I just think he's a bit of a bell end and I think he kind of makes people not I think he kind of gives I I I kind of think even when he's like pretending to try and inspire people to cook he does it in such a macho cock out on the table flexing his forehead kind of way that it kind of just makes me go oh fuck off <laughs> it's and like
0: it's it's a bit like Whiplash that movie Whiplash like that sort yeah. of it, it. That type of like teaching can make people, but it can also break people.
2: Mm. And like, I wouldn't. I don't know. Like, just he sounds, has got a he... nice
1: side to him because he's done. Um, he's done like a lot of Junior Master Chef, and like the kids will be like crying because they fucked it up, and he won't be calling them a fucking donkey. Obviously, He'll be, like, <laughs> yeah.
2: There's, there's yeah. I mean, that's there's, just there's loads the bare of minimum.
1: Cl- no, but there's loads of clips where he's like, oh, you know, it's okay. Like you're doing so well, and he's. He he obviously has got a soft side. I wonder how much he hams it up, but you're right. He definitely, in like the competitive space, his method of teaching is like... It's not an arm around the shoulder. It's like calling him a fucking cretin. <laughs> it's an old-school <laughs> Yeah, manager. I think
2: he's he's like a Jose, and I don't really... I don't want Jose. That's right, it's
1: Ferguson. Yeah. yeah. He's hair-dry treatment. He's not clop.
2: And I think for that reason, I am going to crown the greatest chef of all time as Anthony Bourdain. Uh, I just like the idea of, like sharing food, enjoying food. I don't really care about Michelin stars. I know that you're supposed to, but then I listen to this whole podcast about how they're kind of ruining the food industry. So I kind of think, fuck them. Mm. Um, and maybe just try food that you like and watch a quite sweet bloke who just quite likes food and doesn't really take Talk himself too seriously. Yeah. Just walking about and going, oh, do you want to try some food?
0: Interesting thing about the Michelin stars is that it's actually... Didn't you find this out last night, Sobek? It's actually sponsored by Michelin. Like Michelin made the Michelin start, like Michelin tyres. <laughs> it's just oh, the, yeah, yeah. this like, random yeah, random yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah Are Michelin is it,
2: no because when so basically when Michelin, the tire company, were first like coming about, they used to give people a guidebook. Because it's when people started doing like grand touring in cars, like when 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 cars became accessible, people started to drive around, and they would give you a book that said try all of these restaurants, and they Ooh. they they still do it. They've got the the book. If you look at a Michelin star restaurant guide, it has the Michelin man in it. Wow, I can see it. Yeah,
1: so it's yeah, it's the Michelin guides or a series of guidebooks that have been published by French tire company Michelin since 1900. The guide awards up to three Michelin stars for excellence to a select few restaurants. And on this particular post, it's got a, a very early drawing of the Michelin man smoking a cigarette. <laughs>
2: nice. The the funny thing is, is yeah, so they the Michelin star, the Michelin guidebooks are now like trying to like... The funny thing about the Michelin guidebooks, this is, we really should just end the podcast, but I just find this interesting. So I'll just talk about it. There's this thing where like people kind of use them for a way that they're not designed to be used like people are obsessed with like keeping their michelin star Mm. and like not and all of this stuff whereas the michelin star is one of like i think five or six different attributes they can give to a restaurant which includes stuff like value for money and like eating experience and like how exciting and up and coming the chef is and all this stuff and the michelin star is basically like okay this restaurant does all of those things mm. but the trouble is is because they've become this like litmus test or this like stamp on the cv of a restaurant to say like this is a really expensive good restaurant restaurants will be really innovative and exciting until they get a michelin star and once they get it they will then basically just serve the same menu From then on, because you get a Michelin star based on the menu, and what they don't want is the judge to come back and say, "Oh, you've changed everything. I don't like it." Whereas if you carry on serving the same thing that they gave you a star for before, they are more than likely to just keep it. Wow! But there has been some really famous cases where, like, people have. There was a really famous thing where a guy, this French chef, I think he was French, lost his Michelin star for because he changed his menu. And then he took his own life and then a bunch of other chefs and restaurants handed back their Michelin stars and said they didn't want them because they thought that like the pressure and the kind of the way that it encourages people not to innovate is like actually quite toxic. And people come yeah. so obsessed with holding on to it Whoa. that it's like not that helpful.
1: Oh. That's definitely put a slight downgrade on me bigging up Gordon Ramsay for having a million Michelin stars because he's got multiple Michelin star restaurants.
2: Yeah. So yeah, fuck the Michelin star, but do, don't do fuck the Michelin guide because it is supposed to be all right, actually. Cool. What's to live by? Just don't take the stars too seriously. Um, but on that note, I'm fucking starving because we've been talking about food for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely ravenously hungry. Yeah. Um, and yeah, thank you for listening. I actually really enjoy this episode. I'm I'm just one of those people who just likes food. So um yeah. I really enjoyed this episode. I was
0: I was dreading this one because I just didn't feel like I was that passionate about chefing, but I, I yeah, I agree. Like I, I love making food. I love like food in general. It's yeah. fun to talk about. I that.
1: enjoyed this one as well because I was like, again, as I've said, I don't really give a fuck about cooking and all that kind of stuff. But I got watching Hell's Kitchen last night and I was like, yo, this is sick. <laughs> so exactly. I, was, I was happy to write my uh, Gordon Ramsay bit. But yeah, fair play. I think I think probably Baldain. Yeah, he's probably the... He's like the people's champ. Do you know what I mean? He's and the I, people's I, I champ. feel like I resonate with his message more than Gordon Ramsay calling people a fucking twat. But I, I, yeah, I, can't, I can never drop drop my love for that kind of stuff because I just love it so much. But
2: yeah, nice All one. Right. It was a good
1: episode. Cool. All right,
2: fair enough. Well, thanks for listening. Don't forget to look in that description and follow us on Instagram and everywhere else. And um we'll see you next week. I can't remember what we're doing. You'll be there. Summer. Oh I
0: can, I can I can I can I can find out.
2: Oh he's going, he's looking, he's checking.
0: Oh it's gone to the air. It's top It's a penalty.
2: Six
0: Pedophiles. <laughs> no, it's Goat Explorer
1: You versus Ooh. Morg Sebak. So
2: that is a good one. That is a great one. I always wanted to be an explorer, and now I'm living on a boat. So. Indiana Jones. Who knew? Indiana Jones is a great shout. Anyway, on that note, we really need to finish things up. It was great to see you both. It was great to speak yep. to you. It was great for you, all you listeners, to listen to it. It really validates my thoughts. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Love you, bye. Bye.